Welcome to this marketing edition of B2B Nation, part of the Technology Advice Podcast Network. Today on the show, we're having a special edition live from the CEB Sales and Marketing Summit, where we're going to have a panel discussion on the Challenger customer. Joe Conrath, a keynote speaker and sales acceleration strategist, will co-moderate the discussion. So take it away, Jill. Thanks so much. And I am here and excited to be talking to these guys because I really like this new book of theirs called The Challenger Customer, and I have some questions to put them on the spot. Okay, are you guys ready? Okay, we're gonna start out with Brent, okay? Because I wanna understand, what were the trends that, that drove the, all the research behind the Challenger customer? Thanks, Jill. You know, in, in many ways, the when we think of the trends, and particularly what we do at CB Sales and Marketing, you would think we study trends in selling and marketing. And, and what's interesting is, in many ways, what this book is really about isn't about selling and marketing nearly so much as it is about buying. And for the last about four or five years at CB, we have been studying in the B2B side very deeply just the buying environment, how customer organizations uh, go through a purchase process and all the very complicated motions that are involved in that. And what we found is that that's the story in many ways. And the reason why that's the story is because that's where all the change is happening. So in many ways, this book is really a story of what happens when we take the old world of selling, the old world of marketing, and run it right into the teeth of the new world of buying because you find that things fall apart, and they fall apart pretty, uh, pretty dramatically. And at the heart and soul of this book, the biggest of those changes on the buying side is just the number of people involved in that purchase process and the complications that that wide range of uh, and diversity of stakeholders creates, not just for the seller organization, but for the buyer organization to navigate that, frankly, very difficult minefield. And how many people are involved in the decision these days? Can we talk about that? Absolutely. So the, the, um, when, we, when we put the, the research together, and, and Nick can talk a little bit more about sort of the methodology behind this as well, but when we went out, we studied uh, B2B stakeholders or customer organizations and uh, individuals involved in a B2B purchase, and we simply asked them, how many people are typically involved in a B2B purchase in your organization? That number came back at 5.4. So we talk a lot about the 5.4, both as a statistic, but also as a metaphor, right? The, 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 it is a story of who are these 5.4? Do you know? Do your customers know who the 5.4 are? And I think in many ways, the, the, the really interesting pivot point to this 5.4 story is that in many ways, it's not just 5.4 people, but 5.4 perspectives and each one of those perspectives is very likely to be different so you got the we traditionally sell to the head of IT or the head of marketing or the head of HR but now we've got the head of procurement the head of finance the head of sales we got all of these different people with slightly different agendas involved and to the degree that those agendas those criteria those those metrics those priorities don't fully overlap what's going to happen in this world is your customer is going to look for the common denominator where they all agree and if what they all agree on is to do nothing then that's what they're going to do. And so you hear from our members all over the world, their number one competitor today isn't, isn't so much the competition, but status quo. Yeah. So I'm going to take this conversation in a slightly different direction. And I'm going to continue this because we have a changing buyer, but let's look at technology. Okay. And I'm going to ask Pat to answer this question. What role does technology play in the, the whole environment today? Buying, selling, what, how does it all fit together? What's the role? Lots of ways technology affect buying and selling, Jill. So what we see in our research um, foremost is that the information explosion, the internet, the Google, etc., are leading customers to be able to get access to information on their own, a whole lot of information. And so what does that lead them to do? It leads them to delay engagement with supplier sales reps because they can learn on their own. Why would they need to engage supplier sales reps? Um, social media has led to the explosion of perhaps more trusted information than <clears throat> customers might consider uh, coming from suppliers, right? So there's a credibility thing there too, I would say. Um, so on the customer side, I think technology has been a huge deal. The other way that it, I think has affected the consensus 
play is that um, technology has enabled flatter organizations, right? So customer organizations can sort of have far-flung, decentralized kinds of um, matrixed organizations. <clears throat> but what that means is that more people tend to get involved in decisions. So there's sort of a, um, a sneaky backdoor way that technology is affecting consensus decision-making. Um, on the supplier side, technology, of course, enables marketing and sales to target and access and get just the right kinds of content in front of um, customers. Uh, and so there's a, there's a whole many different ways that technology is transforming marketing and sales. Um, we won't go into great detail on that today here. Uh, but those are just some of the things that we saw in our research. Thank you. Now we're going to look at sales specifically, okay? And part of your research, Nick, you talk about the mobilizer. I mean, the mobilizer is what we want our salespeople to be calling on. Let's talk about that person. Who is it? How do you find him? What's important? Go. Go. I mean, this is <laughs> yes. Yeah, so the mobilizer is the him influencer that we talk about in the book title. And, and the mobilizer really is, is a critical stakeholder for any sales organization, and not just sales, Jill, really any marketing organization to think about engaging. And let me talk about first what a mobilizer yeah. isn't because it will help us understand then what a mobilizer is and why they're so critical. Um, in sales and marketing, there's a conventional view of finding an advocate or a coach or a champion inside the customer's organization. And typically that person um, kind of has the following criteria. Um, they're very pro-supplier. They want you as a supplier to win the business. Um, they love your features. They love your products. They love your services. Um, they see real value in those services. And they're often very friendly, very helpful in terms of navigating the organization, love making them. introductions. And we love them. We love those people. Mm -hmm. And they do serve a very valuable purpose. Um, however, those people are not the mobilizers. And I think this was one of the most interesting things we found in the course of all our research is, um, frankly, we were expecting to find, yeah, the traditional advocate or traditional coach and how important those folks are. And, you know, we thought we'd maybe have a little chapter on that. Um, what we actually found is that the mobilizer, um, intentionally named him a very different name than what traditionally is out there, because the mobilizer is someone who is deeply supplier agnostic. Okay? They could care less about you. They could care less about your products. They could care less about your features, benefits, offerings as a supplier. Um, they want great ideas. What motivates a mobilizer is doing better for their business, helping their colleagues better the business, making their business take each step forward. Okay? They care about the greater good of the company, and they really value big ideas. Um, but conversations with mobilizers are very difficult, and oftentimes salespeople in particular um, end up with a wrong stakeholder because they'll have a conversation with a, with a mobilizer without knowing it. And this individual will push back. They'll ask tough questions. Um, they'll debate with the salesperson. And the salesperson leaves that meeting very demoralized. You know, this customer, they hated my ideas, they hated our services, they hated our products, they hated my insight. Um, boy, that was just a terrible sales call. Uh, in reality, that person's trying to understand what's this mean for my business? Um, what does this mean for me personally? How am I going to help drive this forward? And so they ask questions, they debate, they push back because they're exploring so that they can bring that idea back to their peers with the right amount of credibility, with the right amount of understanding to help compel that consensus to happen. Now, most salespeople would really struggle, like you say, with dealing with this mobilizer because it doesn't feel good. I mean, it literally does not feel good to deal with them, especially if they're challenging you back. I mean, this is the challenger sale. This is a challenger customer, and they're challenging you back. They're not giving you the, oh, this is really cool. I like this, and I love you thing. Uh, what do you suggest that organizations do to help people be more comfortable calling on these mobilizers who are going to make most salespeople shake in their shoes? So I'll give you a couple ideas, and I'm sure the co-authors will have some other ideas as well. We know mobilizers love big ideas. 
And we have to first and foremost give our sales team the, comf the confidence and the comfort with taking big insights out to these, um, to these particular stakeholders. Insights that help challenge their thinking, but insights that they can equally take back and challenge their peers' thinking inside their companies, right? And so we have to first get comfortable with the fact that, indeed, the best reaction I can get from a stakeholder is someone who's engaging at a very deep level, at a skeptical level, really pushing back on the idea because they're exploring it. That is among the healthiest indicators that I am actually working with someone who has the potential to really drive consensus home inside this, this, this customer organization. Um, and I think all too often we're looking for the quick head nods, you know, the quick belief in what we're saying. All too often we found those individuals really we classify as talkers. Um, they're happy to talk. They, uh, they're happy to take a conversation, they're happy to network you, um, but very little happens because oftentimes they don't carry the credibility internally. And secondly, they just don't care to go drive action. They want to learn, they're really interested, they really, they're really quick to agree, they just don't do anything. Um, so the first and foremost thing we have to do is get our sales teams comfortable with mobilizers. I'm sure Pat has some points of view on what we have to do from a marketing standpoint, but uh, uh, Pat, Brent, do you have anything to add to that? Well, actually, if I could, Jill, I'd, I'd love to just close a circle on two points that are on the table right now. Because we talked about, because right now we got, well, there's this person who has really tough conversations with you, so that sounds hard. We haven't, well, we haven't talked about why, and why does it matter? So we, there is this person called a mobilizer, and yes, we need to talk about why. And so the why goes back to where we were before with the 5.4. Because the thing that truly defines a mobilizer in our research is not the fact that they ask good questions or they look for big ideas. But the two defining characteristics we find in our research that really make someone a mobilizer, thus the name mobilizers, they're good at two things. They are good at building consensus and driving change. And that's what matters because in a world of the 5.4, in the world of organizational complexity, in the world of buying difficulty, what you need is someone who doesn't champion a supplier but champions an idea. And then by championing it, they are uh, able, willing and able to go build connections to the other 4.4 they're willing and able to go drive that change and build consensus. Because at the end of the day, that's, all, that's what we all sell. We all sell change. And, and so if you're going to, ultimately, one way or another, we're trying to get our customers to change their behavior in one fashion or another. And in this very complex selling and buying environment, finding that person who is particularly good at, at driving that change and building consensus really matters. But the next point, the bummer is, that person isn't always the easiest person to approach or to talk to at the time. Yeah. So I'm just really wondering if you can explain a little bit more about this content that makes the mobilizers drool? I mean, like, what would the titles be of, of articles or white papers or webinars or anything that you might do? What makes the mobilizer drool? Brent, why don't you take this one? So the, when we get into content, uh, as Pat will tell you too, it starts to get really interesting with marketers, right? Because marketers, the first thing they'll say when they hear this sort of riff on, on content, right, is they'll say, I totally agree. They'll get all excited and say, we've been on this content journey for the last three, four years. We've actually been making huge investments in content. We've bought a marketing automation system. We've got a content marketing strategy. We've got people around it because we've also come to the same conclusion that we need to put content out in, content out in the world that demonstrates that we are a thought leader in, in, in our industry, because if we can demonstrate to the world that we're a thought leader, that's gonna help us build our brand, build our credibility, create that trust, so customers are more likely and willing to come to us to buy from us. What we found, though, is that in this world, the kind of content that we need to create for mobilizers, right, because mobilizers aren't looking for a supplier. They're looking for an idea. They're looking for something that can materially impact the performance of their business. So what, what we find is thought leadership, that kind of content, specifically designed to help your customers think that you're smart and trustworthy, won't actually make that happen. So we, dis we delineate very carefully in this book between what we call thought leadership, which is content designed to teach your customers that you're smart, and what we call commercial insight, which is content designed to teach your customers that they're wrong. 
and 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 but just don't put it like that, right? But but the. Um, but that's right. That's what. Yes, you could put it like that. There's opportunities in front of them, but but nonetheless, but what you find is commercial insight in this world then consists content as we create it in this world consists not of one thing but two things. It's not just an idea of what you could be doing, but just as important, you have to very carefully deconstruct what the customer is currently doing and why that current behavior is costing them money, exposing them to risk in ways that they themselves haven't fully appreciated. Because remember, what you're selling, you're selling change. What's the one thing your customers want to avoid? change. So you need to demonstrate to them not just that the thing they could be doing is great, but what the thing that they're currently doing is not great. And you have to teach them essentially that the pain of same is greater than the pain of change. And that's, that's where commercial insight, we think, as content is very different. So I'm going to keep this question going one more time and get sales perspective on it very specifically. Marketing creates this content and it appeals to these mobilizers. Do you have sales do anything with that same content or how is sales using that content? Yeah, and, and hopefully, ideally, this is Nick, hopefully, ideally, um, some seeds have been planted through good content marketing so that when sales interacts with a mobilizer, um, there's some degree of understanding. But in many cases, um, sales is, is truly picking up the baton and ensuring that that mobilizer and then, therefore, the customer broadly understands that insight. They underst understand precisely how their business is currently behaving, what's faulty or wrong or perhaps just out of date with that behavior and why they then need to change. And this is where it's really important that when you take 5.4 very diverse stakeholders with different perspectives, to Brent's point, we have to still stitch them together around a common idea and a common vision and a common path forward. And so that's really become sales' responsibility is to help ensure that very diverse perspectives are recognizing the common opportunity, the common problem, and a common new way forward that has impact for all of them around the business, but they can rally around that one idea. And so sales really has to ensure we hold the course on that insight, and what's interesting is through the entirety of the purchase process, right, from the beginning stages where the insight might be introduced all the way to the end, you really have to make sure you're continually reinforcing because for every, every single opportunity that, um, that customer can, they'll look for objections. There will be other suppliers involved saying things that might differ, and so we have to ensure we stay the course on that insight through the entirety of the purchase process, and that is extremely important, Jeff. Okay, guys, so we're going to wrap it up with some... Um Rapid fire questions, lightning round. See if you can answer these questions, okay? We're gonna start right here with Nick, okay? And uh, what is the biggest barrier preventing organizations from adopting the challenger, the challenger customer? Biggest barrier to adopting this, okay? You wanna take it and then pass it to Brent when you're done and we'll go right to Pat? Yeah, okay. I'll do two quick barriers. The first- Oh, oh wait. <laughs> one barrier, Jill. I'll do one barrier. Uh, Okay, from my perspective, I think this isn't perhaps the biggest barrier, but I think it's one of the most commonly overlooked barriers, um, which is truly driving awareness and understanding at the frontline manager level around what it means to look for a mobilizer and ensure that the sales teams are indeed working with a mobilizer through the deal review, through account reviews, through opportunity planning. Who's your mobilizer? How do you know? What are you engaging them with? That needs to happen. Pat, why don't you go? Uh, <clears throat> for me, the biggest barrier is a mindset one and getting marketers and sales folks alike out of a very supplier grounded mindset and into the minds of and hearts of their customers. And that level of empathy <clears throat> is a very difficult thing to achieve in your day to day. Yeah, it chokes me up. Yeah, yeah. or it's the Las Vegas dryer, I'm not sure which. But, but yeah, that's a tough thing to, to, to drive change with. I just to add to this, so now, it's great, now we got three barriers. So the, um, the, the other thing, Jill, I would add to that is 
the barrier doesn't just exist on the supplier side. So there's all sorts of challenges to sales, marketing, working together, getting all this to happen in ways that Nick and Pat just mentioned. But there's an equally important barrier on the customer side, which is their willingness and ability to understand how this is even supposed to work in the first place. So it's just sometimes we talk about the 5.4, your customers don't necessarily know who the 5.4 are either. So there's a, a presumption on the supplier side. If we can find the mobilizer, they'll know what to do. And often they may be willing to mobilize, but they may not be able to mobilize. So to, to coach them through that purchase process, to prescribe to them what needs to happen as part of that purchase process matters a lot. So the, in many ways, that we're finding now in our latest research, even some since the book, that in many ways that is the biggest barrier is a customer buying be behavior of just uh, overcoming the overwhelming nature of the purchase journey itself, which can be very difficult. I agree. It's a real challenge. So we are talking about the challenger customer. We've had multiple challenges for implementing the challenger customer in this book, which is excellent, by the way. I want to know what each of you, from your own perspective, sees as the biggest takeaway. What is the biggest takeaway that you would say, if I'm talking to people in my audience, and, and you each have a little bit different audience, what would I say is the most important thing I want them to know about this book I wrote? All right, this is Nick. I'll, um, I'll take my, the first crack at this. Um, I think it comes down to uh, when you have that very precious mobilizer stakeholder, right? They're not the most common and you really want to engage them the right way, far too often um, we're getting this idea of insights wrong. And I think the biggest takeaway from the book really is focused on what, what is essentially chapter three in the book, but how to truly think about a good disruptive insight that helps reframe how that customer is thinking about their business. Um, I think that is the most, the singular most important idea in the book, and it really is a centerpiece of how to engage these very valuable customer stakeholder types. Uh, for me, I, I'd go back to the 37% figure and just how early this consensus tends to fall apart and how for a marketing audience that might be listening or watching today, um, that really needs to change the way that marketing works with sales uh, because marketing has to put itself on the hook to be thinking about the consensus and trying to knit that together. And then, Jill, I guess I would sum it up with, with two sort of bumper sticker phrases that I always talk in bumper stickers, right? Short sort of phrases that capture big ideas. Um, and there's one that's sort of in the context of the challenger sale, our first book. I would say that the bumper sticker lesson off of the second book is it's not just that you challenge, but who you challenge that matters. And that's deeply important. So the, and then the second one, just independent of that, is really the core finding of this book, which is in the world of the 5.4, in this world, it's not really about doing a better job of connecting those individual stakeholders to you, but doing a better job of connecting those individual stakeholders to each other. And that's key to get the deal done uh, in this new world. And real quick, guys, uh, same thing here with the bumper sticker mentality. What would you say, Pat, is the theme of the conference this year? Uh, well, I'd say that customers have moved beyond being empowered to being overwhelmed, and that really needs to change the way that marketing and sales approach the, um, the buying experience. And Brent? I think that's right. I mean, that is, in many ways, again, it's brand new research since we wrote the book, only, what, nine months ago, right? But the, in, in going out and studying customers today, there's this incredibly important pivot point that we've only just now come to appreciate, which is we've been talking about customers being empowered with information, empowered with all these options for the last, what, five years. And at some point, we've shifted in a very dramatic way, which you can see in the data, from a world of uh, more information and more options and more people to too much information, too many options and too many people. And to Pat's point, we are now living in a world not so much where customers are empowered but overwhelmed. And the reason why that matters is because if you solve for one, the, the solution for one is actually the opposite of the solution for the other. The solution for an empowered customer versus the solution for an overwhelmed customer 
are actually 180 degrees different. And if you solve for the wrong problem with the wrong solution, you're going to be slow and wrong versus fast and right. And Nick, what are your thoughts? And I would just summarize by saying, um, I think I think the new theme in sales and marketing really is about simplification. And not just simplification of what we do within our commercial organization, but simplification for the customer and on behalf of the customer. Uh, the reality is uh, we live in a much more complex world. It is far too easy to just add things to the system and make things more complex. Um, we need to start stripping stuff out and help the customer understand precisely what they need to do, limit the options, limit the information, help them find their way through the purchase. It's all about simplification. If I would say one sort of operative word of what we've got to get after, it's simplifying things. So final question here, CEB Sales and Marketing Summit 2020. What do you guys think we're going to be talking about? And sort of uh, from that, what's the next book? We've done uh, Challenger Sale, Challenger Customer. Is it going to be the Commercial Insight? What's, what's sort of the next? The Challenger Robot. <laughs> <laughs> the robots are coming. I, for one, welcome our new robot masters. Just wanted to get it on the I, record here. I was going to go with zombies, but, the, uh, <laughs> but if you want to go with robots, here, here's the, actually the, the true, honest answer to that question is we have no idea. We have absolutely no idea, and that is why we do the work that we do, and that's why you got to stay on the journey with us, because every single year, we're learning things that we did not know the year before, and every single year, we're learning things that surprise us, and so every single year, we're going to come to this world with something that no one saw coming, including us, and that's why we do this work, and that's why I think it's so compelling. And, you know, I, I would say, to Brent's point, um, every year is, is uniquely different, but here's the thing I can guarantee you is what we'll talk about in 2020 it's already happening today. That's right. Um, and we just got to find it. And that's that's the thing that I find so interesting about sales and marketing is that there's always outliers out there doing something different and, and earning and winning disproportionate results as, as, a, as a, a product of it. So um, we, we will use our very rigorous quantitative instruments to find that behavior, and that's what we'll be talking about. So I wonder, Pat, what, what else you might add to future is already here. It's just unevenly distributed as William Gibson can say. Whoa, that's, that's pretty deep. Well, uh, I just want to thank you all so much for joining me today. This has been such an insightful look into the Challenger customer as well as the conference itself. I'd like to take this opportunity to point our listeners to the link in the description, which will take you to more interviews and content from the event, as well as some additional podcasts we've conducted with CEB all around the Challenger customer and much, much more. Thanks so much for listening.